Welcome to Procurement Reimagined, a podcast by Gatekeeper. We believe traditional procurement has had its day, the world is changing, and our industry needs to change with it. On the podcast, we share the best practices to help you streamline your procurement processes, navigate vendor onboarding, and ultimately get the most value out of your vendor contracts. I'm your host, Daniel Barnes. In this episode of Procurement Reimagined, I'm joined by Tom Rogers, founder and CEO of Vendor Centric, a national consultancy specializing in helping companies take a systematic risk-based approach to vendor lifecycle management. We discuss the evolution of vendor management strategies and the need for breaking down silos. Tom explains the importance of having a vendor management office, VMO, and how aligning contract management and third-party risk can benefit businesses. He also touches on how to mitigate contract risks associated with contracts. Enjoy. Tom, I really wanted to ask you to explain what you do as though I'm a five-year-old, mainly because you're a little bit different to some of the guests that we've had on. And I think you've got quite a good setup and I'm a bit more familiar with what you do at Vendor Centric. But it'd be really cool for you to explain what you do as a five-year-old and maybe yeah, reveal anything else you want to about it. Yeah, sure. So at Vendor Centric here, we're a boutique consultancy that specializes in this burgeoning area called vendor management, right? And I think your point about really trying to explain it in a simple way is a good one because I think vendor management means different things to different people. But the way we think about it, Daniel, it's really bringing together everything to manage the relationship with your third-party vendors all the way from the very beginning when you're initiating it in procurement and purchasing, all the way through managing risk and managing the contracts that you're entering into with them through offboarding the relationship at the end of the day. So if you really think about it, where companies spend money, they spend it in one of two places. It's either with their employees and their staff or with their vendors and other third parties. And if you think about how they're structured around managing their employees, they have a whole HR function to help recruit the employees, onboard them, get them in the right roles and positions, train them, help them grow and develop, and hopefully support the organization all the way until the time they're not working there anymore. That's really what we do. We just tackle it from the vendor side of things. So we get into three operational areas that really kind of all come together to support that function. On the front end, it's procurement operations. So it's going out and sourcing, finding the vendors, making the procurements, all that good stuff. And then obviously, as you're going through that process, risk management comes in. So we focus on third-party risk and helping with the actual risk or supporting the risk assessment and due diligence process, and then as well as contracting. So entering into that contract with a third party. So that kind of front-end part of the relationship. And then we help with companies on the back end once the contract has been put into place is to really monitor and manage the risk, monitor and manage contract and contract performance, compliance, all that good stuff, and then all the way through the off. So it's those three areas of operations, procurement operations, third-party risk operations, and contract management that all come together under this vendor management umbrella. And that's the business function that we support and help our clients with. Yeah, I like your take on it as well. I view it in the same way because maybe the last seven years when I've been working with as an employer, as a consultant in various places, there seems to be 
a focus on sourcing, always about sourcing. I can't remember how many countless conversations I've had about sourcing at the expense of risk management, due diligence, contract management, both pre and post signature. And like one of the points you just made about offboarding vendors, I really struggled to remember anywhere that I've been or people I talk to that talk about offboarding vendors in a managed way, as opposed to just contracts terminated, we'll keep you on our records and maybe we'll use you again in, you know, whenever we need to. Yeah. So I just really like those points that you just made there. Yeah. And I think that part of the, what you're bringing up there is, I think we're going to get into this a little bit with some of the questions is that the view on operationally what needs to be done to kind of manage vendors is really depends on who you talk to. So if you're talking to the procurement folks, there's a very procurement focus. If you talk to the third-party risk folks, a lot of times there's a very heavy cyber focus, right? Cybersecurity, cyber risk, but there's obviously lots and lots of risks other than cyber to manage with those vendors. And then you talk to the contracting folks, whether it's legal, who's helping actually create the contract, or really the business owners, the relation, the, the people that are actually running the day-to-day, they have a very different focus because they're just trying to get those vendors onboarded and in and start working with them and kind of manage to the contract. So all those pieces are happening all at the same time sometimes, but they're all done by different people with different focus point. So offboarding, yes, is not always thought about because it's so far down the line and nobody really owns some of that. So all those different points of view is part of what the whole vendor management business function is about, which is really trying to herd all the cats bring everybody together under one common structure and framework and approach to manage those relationships all the way from beginning to end. Yeah, that orchestration of that is quite a handful. And and Tom, you've got a lot of experience. And my notes here say that you've got over 30 years of experience, Yeah, which is just quite incredible, really. But um, over those 30 years, what are some of the common gaps, issues that you're seeing maybe with your clients or in conversations that you're having with professionals in the space around vendor management? like What are teams maybe failing to address? That might be too harsh a way of putting it, but I think the bluntness there might get across what we're trying to achieve here. So yeah, what are some of the gaps that you see teams leaving wide open? Yeah, sure. And when you say 30 years, man, that goes pretty fast. It's hard to believe (laughs) how quickly that time goes. But maybe if I could, let me give you a little bit of my, over that period of time, kind of a little bit of how we got into this, because this whole area has evolved a little bit in how it's evolved, how I've seen it evolved anyway, because I think the gaps are part of the outcome of how vendor management as a business function has kind of grown to where it is now. But so I actually got my start in public accounting. So I'm a CPA or an ex-CPA, I guess you want to think about it that way working with organizations, doing financial audits and things like that. But then I kind of switched over and started running our consulting practice. And as I was doing that, we were doing a lot of policy and procedure development and then started getting into procurement. And this was probably in the mid-1990s, so it was a little while ago, right? So back then, everything was focused around sourcing, maverick spend, negotiating. It was all about price negotiations, right? So let's get the best price we can, a lot of beating up of suppliers and vendors to try to maximize pricing, but it was all about cost and cost management. 
And that was our foray or my foray into the vendor management space was through procurement, really, but primarily around sourcing and cost control, right? But then as we started doing more of this work, and I left public accounting, and that's when I started consultancy that eventually ended up becoming vendor-centric now, we're continuing to do a lot of that procurement work. But then I would say, you know, things started to evolve a bit more beyond just that sourcing focus. And folks were starting to talk more about third-party risk, starting to talk a little bit more about contract management, but still pretty isolated, Daniel. You saw the procurement folks thinking more around sourcing and cost control, contract management, what's you know, more around the nuts and bolts of the terms and conditions of the contract and trying to manage towards deliverables, things like that. But it was really, I would say, maybe 10 years ago or so when I started to see the merging of this. In the U.S. here, some of that was driven by regulatory compliance. So a lot of the banking industry and things around third-party risk and third-party risk management, even though it was pretty cybersecurity focused, started to creep in. Procurement folks started thinking about risk more. I think the contract folks wanted to get more involved with the risk folks in procurement as well. So the whole thing is kind of, of slowly and eventually brought these different operational areas together, where I think now what we're seeing is that as organizations are the clients that we're working with anyway, are looking at this, they're not looking at it in silos as much as they used to, where procurement versus contract management versus third-party risk. They're really thinking about it as broader vendor management and how do we kind of bring those operational areas all together under one umbrella. So back to your question around the biggest gaps, I think that, frankly, is still the biggest gap that we're seeing, which is to manage vendors through that whole life cycle, there's still all these different siloed operational areas that are difficult to bring together under one common approach, right? So procurement has their policies and procedures, contracting has theirs, third-party risk has theirs, then you have compliance that comes into the mix, you have information security and cybersecurity risks that they're bringing into the TPRM. So you've got all these different kind of moving pieces that sit in different silos within the organization. So I think the biggest gap right now is companies trying to figure out, all right, we want to take this more strategic approach, but we're set up operationally with all these silos over here. So how do we kind of step back and look at this at 30,000 feet and start to bring all those different groups together under a common framework, under a coordinated set of policies and procedures to be able to really manage this thing holistically rather than separate in different op- areas of operations. Yeah, that's an interesting point there. And the silos almost seem so very common from a procurement team perspective. I've worked in countless silos, sadly, and it's always been very hard to try and break down the silos to try and get that engagement. I was just wondering, how have you seen teams go about changing this? Do they perhaps one kind of leadership model in? So all of these teams sort of report into one person? Are there various frameworks? Is it tech? Is it a combination? I'd be really intrigued to sort of hear your thoughts around that. Sure. That's a great question. Honestly, it's kind of different 
to each organization in terms of where things are organized. But the glue, I think, that holds it together is part of what you just hit on, which is establishing a common framework that they're going to follow to really provide structure to how they're working with these third-party vendors throughout the life cycle of the relationship from sourcing through risk assessments, contracting, purchasing, monitoring and managing risks in the contracts all the way through offboarding. So the clients that we're working with that are kind of tackling it at a strategic level are working to establish a framework that kind of brings all that together and then has a common governance structure as well. So as you think about all those things that need to get managed from the beginning to the end, it's establishing a coordinated set of policies and procedures, a coordinated set of technology solutions. So maybe we can talk about that a little bit more in a second. Thinking about resourcing roles and responsibilities. So how do I get the compliance folks talking to the business owners who are talking to the information security folks who are talking to the contracting folks? It's kind of getting that common framework that brings those all those roles and responsibilities together to start to define who does what at what point in the relationship. So typically what we find is that as organizations are tackling it strategically like that, they are building out a central vendor management function, a vendor management. It's called different things, and this is where it can sit at different places within the organization, Daniel. So sometimes it sits in procurement, not usually. Sometimes it sits in operations. Sometimes it sits in finance. Sometimes it sits in compliance. Sometimes it sits under legal. It's a nightmare, really, isn't it? It's kind of all over the place. Yeah, it's a great point that you're making, though, because depending on the size of the company, that can have a huge bearing. Depending on the C-suite leadership team, that can have a huge bearing. But also, that's a huge bearing on typically the roles and the priorities as well within those teams, whether it sits in finance or operations or whether it just sits under procurement and procurements in the C-suite. Um, I see these debates all the time with people kind of wanting a procurement or vendor teams to be represented in that, that manner. But yeah, you're right. Like This is such a, an important point that you're making for sure. What we've kind of learned is that where it sits, there's no one size fits all as to where it sits, meaning it should always sit in a particular area of operation. It really depends on the organization size and structure. It's a lot of our organizations, a lot of our clients, excuse me, have decentralized procurement, right? So there's a very light procurement function. It's more administrative, or there might be no procurement function at all. So that vendor management function, that's kind of the glue, when I was talking about the framework, the kind of the glue that holds all that together, they can sit in different places. And we find that that's fine. That's okay because it has to work within the culture and the size and the scope and the resources of the particular client and industry there and things like that. But having that vendor management function is really critical because they're really the glue that is able to coordinate all those different pieces together because compliance is still doing compliance, procurement, if there's a procurement function, is still doing procurement. You know, the business owners are still managing contracts. InfoSec is still looking at cybersecurity with third parties. So that doesn't all come together. Those folks are all kind of still doing their things. But the framework and the VMO are really the quarterback. The framework creates the structure and the vendor management office or the vendor management function. They're the ones that are helping to, to really make sure everybody's working together. They're the center of excellence so that as they're 
folks are trying to figure out what to do and they need coordination, the VMO can serve as that function. I mean, similar to what an HR department does for employees, right? I mean, you have employees and they report up to a director, so HR is not managing them day to day, right? But they can help the department heads kind of coordinate and recruit and all that stuff. Vendor management office has a very similar role. So our clients that are tackling it strategically like that under a common framework, they're putting in place a vendor management office, and that's the folks that are driving it. I was just thinking there about almost like a maturity curve within organizations, because I think a lot of people listening to this will say, that sounds wonderful, but I have, we're, we're starting off at such. Yeah. Like you mentioned some of your clients, they start off with very light touch, just procurement activities, or there may be nothing. And that might mean people just buying stuff and going from that to having almost a I really like what you said about the center of excellence, because I've seen that popping up more and more. I've seen sort of procurement center of excellences, and more so I've seen contract management center of excellences, which gets me really excited to see that happening. What would you say that, and this might be a super hard to answer, uh, so I uh, answer this how you want. What's like one major thing these organizations can do to go from that very almost less mature state to this very high maturity state because the gulf between the two is quite stark and it, to my mind it could take a number of months even a number of years and that's not necessarily a bad thing right yeah i think years is probably more realistic correct agree with you 100 percent, daniel i mean that's a really good question so you're absolutely right because yeah i don't want to paint a picture that you stand it up and all of a sudden you have a mature program <laughs> yeah right? You've got to, it's, we always think about it as crawl, walk, run, right? In the US here, we have American football, right? Not European football. I've already got your quarterback reference. <laughs> and luckily, I kind of know what a quarterback does. Yeah. Yeah. But American football, one of the things we, I always talk when we're talking to clients that are looking to get this going is a lot of times they want to start off, hey, I I want to get software in place, right? Or we want to manage ESG, or we have a whole supplier diversity initiative that we want to. That's great. But you've got to get your basic blocking and tackling first, right? So in football, you have to be able to block people and you have to be able to tackle the person that has the ball. I mean, just let's get that stuff figured out first and then you can start in your foundation and then you can start building from there. So to your point, the way we kind of think about it, the way we work with our clients is you can really tackle it a couple different ways to just get going and take that first step as you're talking about. So some of our clients will say, hey, we want to build out a mature vendor management function over years, typically. It's typically going to be over several years. But procurement is most important to us to start, or contract management is most important, or third-party risk is most important. So in those situations with those organizations, the, the vision is, hey, we want to get to a mature state and really bring all of those pieces together, but we have a more pressing issue operationally in one area. Let's get started with that. So let's really take a look and build out solid policies and procedures. Let's figure out what technology we need. Let's figure out what roles and resources that we need and get the right people aligned and establish the right governing structure to that. But as we do that, let's think forward so that if we are, say, implementing new technology, let's think, hey, we're not just 
implementing procurement technology, we are going to want to bring in contract lifecycle management at some point. We want to bring in third-party risk at some point. So we need to find something that could be scalable that we can add on to and grow or integrate with another system down the line. Same thing with policies and procedures. Let's think about we're going to be integrating risk assessments in at some point, right? So let's build them to scale. So that's kind of one way is to start in a particular area of operations. Some of our other clients, they really want to tackle everything out of the gate. So they said, hey, we want to start doing a full vendor management function now. So that's great. But we, again, have to kind of prioritize, all right, what is most important to do right now? So it might just be something as simple as, hey, we've got people buying stuff all over the place with no set requirements around what requires a bid, what doesn't require a bid. I mean, basic blocking and tackling stuff, right? So, hey, let's get that stuff cleaned up on the procurement side before we start worrying about a big supplier diversity initiative, right? Because you don't even have data to know who you're working with, right? And, hey, we want to get some basic risk assessment stuff in. Okay, let's create a a pretty simple set of questions that you can start asking your third-party vendors as part of your risk assessment process before we go all out and start adding in third-party threat monitoring solutions and things like that. So with those folks, we're kind of doing that crawl, walk, run, but we're taking elements of procurement and third-party risk and contract management. We're kind of building out an operational game plan that they can follow and start maturing activities over a period of time. But what we really like to see is them executing on that first set of things that they want to do before they start worrying about adding on that next set of things. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm completely with you. I was just, as you were talking, so many thoughts were coming to my mind. So maybe I'll just share a few there. And I was just thinking back to my last two roles before I joined Gatekeeper and kind of come out of the procurement space. But my responsibilities have been procurement, contract management, and then increasingly third-party risk management or just risk management, depending on. And you're right, like it's, it, there's always one that is seemingly more pressing than the other. So it may be like a couple of real examples is like the due diligence is either non-existent or so long and bureaucratic because you've just built up, you've just taken something from one place, plugged it in and just realized it doesn't work with the culture and yeah, maybe just with the culture of the people and the type of suppliers that you're bringing in. So it's somewhat, you just need to try and streamline that. And then on the contract management side of things, it's like, we don't know where our, what's our intake process. That's quite a basic one. And as soon as you get that right, it's become so much more efficient. But before that, you've got requests coming mainly from email, but we've now got Slack. Uh, we've got a million other one ways of communicating and it can lead to chaos. So I really like what you're saying about, and this is kind of how I visually see it, it's going from chaos to some order in a specific area is a really good way to do it. And I completely agree with you. That's where I've seen a lot of success with teams implementing this sort of this vendor management approach, even if they don't call it that. It's the same sort of principle or framework that governs all of this. Um, yeah, I really like that. And Daniel, just to piggyback on something you just said, so you were talking about kind of gatekeeper. So gatekeeper being like a really awesome solution around contract lifecycle management, right? But it started to integrate in third-party risk. Yeah. Monitoring well. So you're able to start now expanding the types of things you can do through the technology. But as you think about crawl, walk, run, and with contract management, a lot of the clients that we start with, hey, where are your contracts? 
How many contracts do you need? <laughs> yeah. Right? I agree. And tackling. It's like, how many contracts do you have? What's active? What's inactive? What are your obligations that you have under the contracts right now? Oh, and any are any auto renewing next month? Yeah, yeah. So that might, if somebody wants to start there, that's just basic. Let's get visibility into what we have. So that might be some light policies and procedures, but technology might be the thing that's most important to them out of the gate to start to get data to really understand who they're working with, what contracts they have. And kind of to your point, figuring out where that, what's most important right now to get started on, but thinking about it in the bigger picture, longer term, how do we build this to scale, to be inclusive across all of these different operational areas, rather than just thinking about it in isolation? Yeah, I was just thinking then as well, it's just such an easy way to save money. And I'm very conscious of that in, uh, throughout this year. I think a lot of, I've seen the conversations change very quickly, <laughs> funny enough. Yeah. Almost from Christmas seemed fine coming to early January, it seemed okay-ish. <laughs> and then from sort of mid-January, it just seems the objectives instantly went to monitoring cost, cost cutting, and really saving money. And like you say, if you don't know where your contracts are, that means you probably don't know your obligations. And if you're falling afoul of any obligations, you could incur penalties or your vendors. They may be doing something that is a breach of one of those obligations. You may be missing out on SLA service credits. And the list goes on. Like You could be recouping money, saving money, especially on the auto renewals, which is a really good point. It could just be such a quick way to do it. And then on the procurement side, like you said, just is there a way where some a very basic policy you could say, hey, procurement's over $50,000. They go to procurement, anything under stays with the business. And straight away, I think you're in a really good position here. And it seems so common sense. It's such low-hanging fruit. Yeah. Yet, you know, I mean, people are busy. They're doing day-to-day work. They're not... Oh, yeah. Always have time to step back. And so you just operationally, things that seem so basic don't have the right structure in place a lot of time. So it's sometimes just stepping back and getting that structure in place. And, you know, look, to your earlier point where you were asking about where do you start, it's, this is complex. I mean, there's hundreds to thousands of third-party relationships that most mid-sized, larger companies have, right? Same number of contracts, if not more, because you may have multiple statements of work. Normally a couple, right? NDAs, right? Statement of works, schedule of works on NDAs. You got yeah, yeah. DPAs is a big one now, right? <laughs> Hundreds to thousands of risk assessments that are going out. Yeah, right. You know, it's not something that you can just go in and fix overnight. Which is why I think it gets it can feel overwhelming sometimes. But that's why that framework is so important because the framework is ultimately what creates structure to the whole approach that you take around vendor management, and then you can start to bite it off, right? As you go through and figure out where your priorities are, where can we start? But let's always be thinking about building out a foundation that's scalable so that the policies and procedures we put in place, the technology we put in place, the way we're aligning our people can all kind of eventually come together under a a more holistic approach down the road. Yeah, I completely agree. Some people will refer to it as having that North Star, right? That you always know what you're working to, you've got that sort of vision. Um, 
lay the foundation you just keep working and it's almost just chipping away at this because you're right like um it almost becomes a volume game and even a a company that only has a couple of hundred suppliers or vendors they're going to run into a lot of work because this takes time away from just doing the day-to-day operations work so yeah i'm completely with you tom i just kind of wanted to change direction slightly um because there was one question i've got here sure we've kind of spoken around it slightly um so the vendor management office is kind of aligning all of these different areas and there's two areas of alignment that i'm particularly interested to get your thoughts on around now what does it enable for the business because i still think these two areas are neglected and that is contract management and the third-party risk management elements what does getting these two areas right enable the business to sort of benefit from? Yeah. So really, if you think about the life cycle and the framework, going back to kind of what I was talking about and where those two operational areas intersect, right? There's really two primary times. One is when you're procuring from a new vendor, right? So you take them through a risk assessment process and you're going to go into a contracting process, right? So that's one key area of alignment. I'll talk a little bit about that and benefits. And then on the back end, as you're going through risk reassessments, as you're going through renewals of contracts, scope changes specifically, right? Because if you're changing scope, it may bring different risks to the organization. Just quickly on that point, Tom, I just want to say, like, I think that's a really good point that gets missed. I didn't mean to jump in too much there. Yeah, yeah. But scope changes, and I've seen this happen. I've seen especially within my contract management roles, when I've been presented with a scope change to review, which fundamentally changes the scope from you know, a very low risk activity, a very high risk activity, sometimes means that the uh, due diligence does no longer correlates to this new scope. And this is, I think, the complexity into all of this also comes in, right? Because just something so simple as, oh, we want to now do Y instead of X can actually make the risk landscape so much more complex. And if you've not even account like if you've not even thought about this and it's not in your policies, no one knows anything about this in the business or they just it's not part of the process, you could end up getting hurt just further down the line if something goes wrong there, or if you haven't got like the right certifications or the right checks or infosec haven't come in because now we're accessing different types of data. It's a mess. Anyway, I just wanted to jump in and just uh, say that because it just it's one area that really frustrates me that I've seen happen a lot over the years. Yeah. And it gets missed a lot, Daniel, because of the communication, I think, sometimes on the back end of the process. But back to your point, so just picking each of those a little bit. So on the front end, the way I see it is it's really the risk assessment component that's driving what really needs to work its way into the contract beyond the basic T's and C's that you normally have in the contract. So what's critical up there is, hey, we don't want to enter into a contractual relationship with a vendor that doesn't integrate in risk mitigation if we're finding something that we feel we need to address contractually in the agreement, right? So everybody has basic, one of the things that's funny, it's everybody has a basic data security clause, right? So, hey, you're going to protect our data, da-da-da-da-da-da, all that good stuff. Okay, well, it's in the contract, so we're covered, right? Well, how do you know that they have the right controls and procedures and oversight to deliver the protection of the data that you're telling them that they need to do in the contract. Well, they signed the contract. Oh, okay. It means nothing, <laughs> sadly, at times. Right. What does that mean, right? So 
the outcome of the risk assessment is so critical prior to executing the contract because you're really evaluating their ability to deliver on what they're saying that they can do, right? And you're also giving yourself the opportunity to add mitigating controls like, hey, you know, we're going to come and do on-sites once a year, or you have to provide financial statements, or, you know, we're going to add you to some cybersecurity threat monitoring solution that we've got because we're not too sure about some of your control. So it gives you the opportunity to think about how I'm going to mitigate the risk. And if I need to get that stuff in the contract, let me do it now because I can tell you that once you sign the contract and then you're trying to get the vendor to go back in and do some things that you didn't pick up, right? I mean, it's really, really, really hard to do. I mean, I've got some tough stories on that from some of our clients. So that's the value on the front end. It's all about risk mitigation. It's making sure the contract has the right language, but it's also making sure that what they're saying they can do in the contract, you feel comfortable that they have the right controls and procedures and oversight to be able to do that, right? So that's the value on the front end. And it's almost a little bit, I don't want to say it's the reverse on the back end, because as you're managing the contract, you're going to do regular risk monitoring anyway. So you're going to see if things come up that you need to be aware of. But it's that it's the change orders and it's the scope changes, I think, that kind of flip it the other way, where you really need to say, all right, am I changing scope that's now putting me in a riskier relationship than when I did my original due diligence in the initial contract, right? And so maybe I'm starting to outsource something to them that I never outsourced before. Maybe I'm sharing, you know, PHI or PII. And I wasn't sharing that data before because now I they added on a system or something like that, right? So now our risk profile has changed. So the contract is driving the need, hey, I need to reassess risk on this vendor. And I might need to start poking around at some things that weren't a risk when I signed the initial contract because this new scope has created that additional risk. So I think that's the other piece. And then I think at the very end, obviously, when you're offboarding, they're, they're should be some coordination there. So data is probably a big one, right? So it's, it's hey, how do we either get the data back or make sure it's destroyed or whatever it is that we've asked them to do in the contract, or it might be work product, or it might be IP, or it could be whatever, right? So there's some element where there might need to be some coordination on the back end between risk and contract management. But those first two pieces, I think, are the big ones. Yeah, I've seen this happen in a good way, actually. The risk reviewers identify something, we can then contract for it, which might need some specific drafting for whatever it is. A couple of examples that I've specifically drafted for are the vendor needs to go and get an ISO 27001 accreditation within a defined period. And if they don't, we can terminate the contract. And we get that signed off by our clients and whatever. They all agree in it. We've got it all documented. Another one, simple things like business continuity plans, like some businesses are still running without these plans or the plans are are basic and they don't have substance. It's taking a bit of a risk in contracting that they have a recognized process in place by set date. Otherwise, we can terminate as well. Um, so yeah, no, I really like that. And just your last point there, again, on the offboarding, something I see teams fall foul of is like, oh, we've given them some of our goods or our intellectual property or data and things like that. And the contract goes and they never get it back. I actually used to see this in government. I mean, I won't share numbers, but maybe like ballpark figure, hundreds of thousands, millions of pounds worth of equipment left with defense suppliers, despite in the contract, 
it saying that they had to give it back. And it was just such an unpoliced area, despite the teams that I worked with being so vast. But government, <laughs> government as a whole, is a weird kettle of fish compared to uh, to private sector, right? At least that's been my experience today. No, Tom, they're really good thoughts there. I'm super conscious of time here, Tom, because this recording, for me anyway, has blown by. It's just like, it's gone so fast here. Sorry, I know we're running out of time, but you bring up a really good point on the back end. So like collecting the equipment or the data or whatever, I think a lot of that is because there's a lot of, nobody knows who's supposed to do that. Oh yeah, for sure. On the back end. And I just want to kind of come back to the role of the vendor management office, right? That's where the vendor management office can be the, the quarterback, right? To that process to make sure that they don't necessarily have to be the ones to go and get all of that, but they should certainly be monitoring when contracts are terminating, what residual risks remain like data destruction or getting equipment back, whatever that is. And then they can coordinate the folks, right? They really serve as that, the glue that holds a lot of that together because folks contracts end all the time so and nobody a lot of times even knows who's supposed to do what so it's not necessarily people don't want to do it or they don't recognize but they either think somebody else is going to handle it or they figure they'll get to it and they never get to it and that's where that yeah something else always comes on along right like to cancel yeah yeah but that's the vmo job yeah no i i, I think that's a really good point there and and I almost hate them because they sound very bureaucratic, but a racy, which sets out the the roles, the the accountabilities. It's such an easy way to have this as part of your framework here, so that everyone in the business knows exactly who's going to do what, and you can get as specific as you want. Maybe for different categories of spend or contract types, there's certain different people involved. It's yeah, you've almost got limitless options there. Um, Tom, what I wanted to say was, and I'm really glad you interrupted me because uh, that was a really good point there. Perhaps we can do a round two at some time. I'll leave that open for you. You don't have to commit to a round two because there's a few bits I would love to get to with you, but we've run out of time here. But there are just a couple of closing questions we ask everyone that I just want to quickly see if we can squeeze in here. So the first one is, what's one piece of tech? Where is software, hardware? You can't live without it. Right. And I think this question is me personally, like what I right? Yeah. Yeah, that's it. I would say it's, one I would live without, can't live without, is called Lucid Shard. Oh, yeah. Your process mapping, sorry. <laughs> process mapping. We do a, a ton of process documentation, process improvement around all those areas of vendor management. So the old days, you'd have Visio and you download Visio. Oh, man, Visio. <laughs> it's so uh, archaic in comparison, right, to Lucid. Yeah, not a fan. The Lucid chart is one that we use. So we use that for all of our process mapping, but we also use it for things like we also do develop training and deliver training for our clients. So we use it to create storyboards for the training deck. We use it for mind mapping tools. So you can do, you know, kind of great, especially now that we're remote, it's you're not in front of a whiteboard all the time with everybody. So it's a great tool. We use it for a lot of different things. And that's something that, yeah, I use. Not daily, but weekly for sure. Yeah, I've been a big Lucid user in the past. Um, okay. I don't use it too much now, but I know a lot of the team at Gatekeeper do it for a lot of their process work and building out processes with clients. But yeah, I've built a ton of contract management and procurement processes on it. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely love it. Um, 
And you can collaborate on it. You can share it. We can all add notes. Yeah, it's a great absolutely tear processes apart which is something i love to do it's a fun pastime because i'm kind of twisted like that tom the last one this is such a weird question i still can't get over how weird this question sounds to ask but it normally gives some good answers um so tom i'm a procurement genie here you can imagine me however you want what is one wish you have for uh, perhaps it's for improving procurement or something like that one wish for the procurement genie yeah Okay. Any wish. All right. Well, I'll stay on topic here so we can focus on the the things we're talking about here. I would, so in, in this topic that we're talking about here, Daniel, I think my wish would be because the type of work that we do, that organizations continue, we're starting to see it more. But I think the wish would be for every organization to view kind of vendor management as a business function. So not as a special project or a special initiative, but just like you have an accounting function, an HR function, an IT function, right? A compliance function. I think vendor management should be a business function like any other function. It's half, if not more, of every company's spend, right? It is dozens to hundreds to thousands of relationships that you've got with all these different. So to not have a a coordinated approach to managing them and treating it as a business function whose responsibility is to drive value, reduce risk, manage cost, ensure compliance, all that stuff. I just think it doesn't make any sense. And the good news is we're starting to see more of that. But if that were my wish, that would be my, my one wish. I think so far, that is my, my favorite wish, Tom. And I can't even remember what number recording this is, but maybe... <laughs> 13, 14 podcasts in now, this one. I really like that, just the way you framed it. But Tom, thanks so much for coming onto the podcast. I've got a lot of value out of this. I know so many other people will. And I think a lot of people I talk to and who listen to this podcast, I think at the start or going through this journey, a lot of the feedback I had from one episode, which was with Hannah McDonald at Monzo, where she's doing this right now and She's taking a very almost agile way of looking at procurement, especially being Monzo, a neo bank in the UK, works very differently to a lot of other businesses. The feedback I had for that was like, oh, people were starting to realize that this is possible and there is some sort of framework to do it. And I think you've illustrated that wonderfully. So thank you. Awesome. You got it. I enjoyed the conversation for sure, Daniel. And it went fast. You were right. (laughs) Too fast. Procurement Reimagined is brought to you by Gatekeeper. To find out more about Gatekeeper and how our vendor and contract lifecycle management solution is delivering visibility, control, and compliance to our customers, visit www.gatekeeperhq.com. And then make sure to search for Procurement Reimagined in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, or anywhere else that podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Gatekeeper, thanks for listening.